The reading today is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 17 to 23. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from all their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So as I said uh, already over these uh, past few weeks, we've been working through uh, the Old Testament, talked about the creation, uh, the promise, the exodus, the covenant, the conquest, the kingdom, the warning, and last week was the return. And today we're talking about the coming. Now, I don't know about you if you've ever had something that you really wanted. You know, maybe because we're... We're in the wee Christmassy theme. Maybe, maybe you wanted something for Christmas and you've just, you've been holding out for it and you're so excited and you don't get it and you're disappointed. I was watching, I don't even know how it came up, but on, on social media, there was a video and it was about Adults receiving pets and the response to receiving this pet that they had wanted for such a long time. And I'm looking at these people thinking, if I ever get my Lamborghini, I'm never going to do that. I mean, I know a Lamborghini is not a pet and Porsches or Ferraris would be equally acceptable. But, but you know, they're, they're getting this gift and it's like they're they're just totally losing it because they've, they've wanted it for such a long time. They're so excited and here it is, the moment has come. Well, that's a real underestimation of the anticipation that has built up for our theme today. Our theme is the coming and the people of God were expecting Messiah. They were expecting God to act. They were expecting and waiting for God to do something among them that would change everything. They were looking for their kingdom. They were looking for this king who would lead them and rule them into this glorious everlasting kingdom. And they had waited and waited. And they hadn't just waited a few years. They had been waiting for Thousands of years, they waited, they sought, they asked, they prayed for year after year after year for Messiah to come. Even this morning we read there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Jesus. Generations in the past 
we're about 30 to 35 years. Now we count them as 20 to 25. And in the Bible, the word generation is used differently in different contexts. For example, in the Exodus story, we're told that the generation of those who refused to go into the land of Canaan when they first had the opportunity, they, that generation was to be killed. But that was any male over 20. So it wasn't just, you know, a few. And that's why they had to wait 40 years in the wilderness before they all died. But generations, are, as I said, they're used, they're used differently. I don't have time to go into all of that. But this is not as simple as counting 30 or 35 times 14 to work it out. And actually, see if you compare Matthew's list with Luke's list, they're different. They don't have the same number of people in them. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, so he only needs to show Jesus' timeline from Abraham, because this is a formal legal genealogy. But look, he wants to show that Jesus is saviour of the whole world, for Jews and Gentiles. So he goes back to Adam. And because Joseph was not Jesus' father, Luke actually gives us Mary's genealogy. And they both come back to David, because both have to show that Jesus was, in that sense, a son of David. If you look back at the Old Testament, there's many prophecies, just picked one, Isaiah 7, 14, says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Look at the New Testament corollary, Matthew 1, 22, 23, which we read, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet hundreds of years before. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Scholars reckon there are over 300 prophecies that have come to fulfillment through the person of Jesus. It's no random person being his best self. This is the fulfillment of of Messiah, of Son of God showing up in the world. This is what everybody has been waiting for all of these years. But as we heard, he came in a way that people just didn't understand. They couldn't imagine that this was not going to be from some royal household. There was no pomp and circumstance, no parade when the Messiah showed up. Some of you have had children yourselves. Some of you might have nieces and nephews. And I want you to think just for a moment, Go back into that hospital where it happened. Now, take that hospital room and replace it with a a shack or a cave. Take the hospital bed and replace it with mats on the floor. Take the nurse and replace the nurse with a donkey, maybe. Take the aroma and replace that with the stink of the animal's. Take the useless father and... Well, no, just leave that one there. (laughs) C.S. Lewis writes this. God descends to re-ascend. God descends to re-ascend. He comes down from the glory of heaven into time and space, down to humanity, to the very beings that he had created. But he goes down to go up again and bring a ruined world with him. 
C.S. Lewis gives the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower and lower to get underneath this huge burden. And he has to stoop so low that he almost disappears under the load before, incredibly, he stands up and marches off with the whole thing on his shoulders. I want to read another section of a gospel. Um, and it's called the prologue. It's the first section of John's gospel. And it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amazing words, a good introduction to who Jesus is and why he came. It starts with, in the beginning was the word. If you were a first century Jew, that phrase would immediately draw you in because it's a phrase that's echoed right from the beginning of the, the Old Testament, right from the, the beginning of Genesis, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Equally, if you were Greek in those days, you understood the word as an impersonal, impersonal principle of reason that gives order to the universe. So if you asked a Greek who created the world, he would say the logos. Logos, the Greek word for word. In the secular world, there was this understanding that everything hung in the balance in this concept of logos. Therefore, the statement connects with the Greek audience as well as the Jewish audience. They're kind of drawn in from the first phrase. But because they're drawn in and they have something in common, it doesn't mean that they're on the same page. It doesn't mean that they understand it in exactly the same way. They're, they're pulled in, but they're not necessarily understanding the same thing. So John has to reorient their thinking around this idea of logos. I've got a friend who has the habit of asking uh, a series of questions that put people on the spot. And I'm going to try that with you today, just for fun. First question is this. Do you think the gospel is important? 
Yes, yes, we think the gospel is important. Okay, good. We're on the same page with that one. Gospel is important. That's good. It's good to know. So, is it of just a little bit of importance? Is it is it kind of important, or is it is it a big deal? It's a big deal. Thank you. Okay, big deal. Great. We're on the same page. Good. That's really that's really helpful. But what is it? What is the gospel? How would you define it? I think if we went round the room, we might get different responses to that. And over the years, I've heard lots of them. I heard somebody say, well, it's really living the Ten Commandments. Or it's the first four books. The gospel is one of them. One of the first four in the New Testament. Or it's a way of living, or, or a way of being, or it's a philosophy. Literally, the gospel means good news. But even that's not really what we're talking about. Because what is the good news? Well, John 1, 14 says this. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is the good news. That's the gospel. Jesus came and he lived among us. The Logos was made flesh. The gospel made flesh and dwelt among us. It's not a set of commandments. It's not a way of being. It's not a story. It's not a way of living. It's not a mindset. The gospel is a person, and that person is Jesus. We don't have faith in the Ten Commandments. We don't have faith in the Psalms or the Proverbs. We don't have faith in Abraham or Moses or Joshua or David or any of the other people that we've spoken about over the past few weeks. We don't have faith in a religion. We have faith in a person. And that person is Jesus. Romans 10 and 9 says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We are saved through a person. Maybe you're here today and you've never understood that, or you've never really received it before. Here's the thing. You don't have to talk like me. You don't have to live or act like somebody else. You don't have to call yourself what I call myself. But you do need Jesus. That's the central pillar of our faith. Jesus is the object of our faith. The engine that makes everything run within Christian life. If you go to Jesus, we're told, he will make himself known to you and he will make you new. And maybe you're here today and you say, oh, right, okay, good, I've got it now. Do you really, are we actually talking about the same thing? Do we really get it? See, God's people are expected to share the gospel with others. So let me put it in plain language as my friend would. This past week, how did you share Jesus with the people you met? This past week, how did you participate in the gospel? John continues in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. With is the preposition that we find in the text, and it can mean with or it can mean towards. And we see this leads us down a path that the, the Word was in the presence of God, was with God, but it was even more than that. It says that the Word is distinct, 
but he is of the same essence and of the same person as God. The idea is that the Word is all of God. I've got a kind of example. It's not very good, but it was the best I could come up with of how to understand what, what he's saying there. The Word is all God, but not all of God. If you're on a football team, I hope everybody knows what a football team is. If you're on a football team and you've got your shirt, and it's got your name on the back, if you foul somebody, the referee's going to use your name and give you a card, right? Because you did it. You are independent as far as it goes. But if you look at the front, you're in the team. And what happens to the team happens to you. If you win, that's great. You've won. So you're part of it, but you're also distinct from it. You're in the same squad together. So when you get out in the field, everything that you do is distinct to you, but everything you do is interlaced. It's part of the bigger picture, the bigger team, of the essence of the team. He goes on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The word for the coming is incarnation. It's a Latin word that means in the flesh. God has come. He comes in flesh. He comes in human form. I find that really difficult because the one who was in the beginning, who created everything suddenly, is here as a human. He appeared as a tiny baby. He was totally dependent on his parents and his family. He existed before the creation of time, and yet here he is. But this birth does not mark his beginning. It marks his earthly beginning, his human beginning, but not the beginning of his life because he is out with time. When you put your faith in God, we are told you're made new. There's a really wise man uh, who came to Jesus, and he was asking, how, how do I get to heaven? What do I do to get to heaven? And Jesus said, well, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus went, eh? Talking about. How, that doesn't work. I mean, you kind of get back inside your mother. That just didn't make sense. I don't understand. I just don't get it. I thought it was a physical impossibility. But Jesus actually meant that we are made new spiritually. Verse 3 says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that's been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I think there's darkness being overcome today. Why? Because Jesus has come and he is still in the world today. Some people are being made new this day. You know, although in Scotland we don't see the church really thriving and growing, across the world the church is thriving and growing. New people are coming day after day after day. They are giving their, their life to Jesus and saying, yes, I want you in my life. I'm, I'm choosing you. I choose to follow you, to give my life for you. The church is growing. 
Why? Because Christ has come and he's still at work in the world. He is fully God and he is fully human. Most religious leaders claim to hear from God, but very few claim to be God. John chapter 10 verse 30 through to 33, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. See, there are people who say that Jesus didn't ever claim to be God. But he did. He clearly did. He kept saying over and over again that he was God. In fact, he he was killed because of his claim to be God. And he never recanted that idea. When you look through his story and then into the early church, you see that the disciples who were there, they, they had been frightened. When Jesus was killed, they were in hiding. They were terrified. And then at Pentecost, when, when God sent the Holy Spirit, they were totally transformed. And that's still the expectation that God has for us today. That when we come in faith, we will be totally transformed. Ray said that everything about Jesus was shocking. Looking over the timeline of of his life, it started with his humble birth. The creator born in amongst the the dirt of his creation. At 12, his parents are scolding him for for going into the temple to teach. At 18, he spends years working as a carpenter in, in, in the family business. He's baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then this awesome moment when, when the Holy Spirit comes down as a dove, and he hears the Father say, I'm pleased with you. And if, if you read that, you might think, oh, this is, it. This is the moment he's going to go and, and, you know, and build a kingdom and take on the world. What does he do? He goes into the wilderness. He goes to spend time in prayer and fasting. And then he comes and he picks his disciples. He doesn't get the religious elitists. He gets a tax collector, a doctor, a bunch of fishermen. You know, these are the kind of people that he chooses. And the truth is, these are still the kind of people that he chooses. You and me. You might be special. <laughs> you are, because God loves you. But, you know, we're just we're ordinary folk called to do extraordinary things, not because we are good enough, not because we are able, but because Christ in us is able. In his day and even today, so many people miss him because they were looking for something different. They were looking for something else. They were waiting for him, but they didn't see and recognize him when he arrived. And God often answers our issues in ways that we don't expect. People waiting for him, getting answers that were 
not what they were looking for. Abraham knew. He got a promise from God that he would have a lasting legacy, but he didn't know that Isaac wouldn't arrive until he was a hundred years old. David had a promise that he would be king, but he didn't realize that he would be chased all over the countryside by the existing king. God answers our prayers, but he answers them often in ways that we don't expect. We try to put God in our box, into our circumstances, into our situation, but God is not confined by me and my thinking and my worldview, nor by yours. His plans and his purposes are bigger than ours. Why did Jesus come? He came because he wanted to give his life for us. He came because he wanted us to know true, eternal love. And he wanted to show how to love your neighbor as yourself. He came because he wanted to shift our mindset to take us away from the traps of everything the world has to offer. He came to forgive us and to show us how to forgive others. He came to lay down his life that we could have life in all its fullness. He came and he got down on our level so that he could relate with us. I I find that with children. When I get down on their level, the relationship changes. They might be angry or throwing a fit or they might be crying, but when you get down there and go eye to eye, they understand there's a, a different connection. So here we go with God Almighty and all his greatness. And he says, I've stooped down to your level. I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to take on your burdens. I know all of the things that you've gone through. I know all of your hurts, your troubles, your trials, and your pains. I know all of that. But I am choosing to go through human life and going to the cross. I'm choosing to be in that moment of saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because I love you. Afterwards, remember, he goes to Thomas, one of the disciples, and he offers his hands and his feet to show Thomas the marks of the nails. Why is he doing that? Because he's wanting to say to Thomas, I know what you're going through, and I'm with you. Sometimes in our weakness as humans, we come to God with all the problems that we have, and we, we, we complain and we go, God, you don't understand. You don't get it. Why is this happening to me? And we moan and we complain and we go on. And God, in his infinite grace, gets down beside us and he whispers, I know. I've been there. I understand. Jesus said that he came, that we could have life in a way that we'd never imagined before. And through faith in him is how we receive that life. We need to acknowledge that we do things that uh, we, we, we shouldn't do, that we don't honor him. We need to ask for forgiveness for that. And his promise is always, yes, yes, I will forgive you. He longs to renew us, to bring us closer to him, to renew our life and our soul, to give us new strength for whatever the world throws at us. 
but we have to open ourselves to him and step towards him in faith. I heard it said like this, Jesus left his place and came to our place to take our place so that we can go back to his place. Jesus left his place and came to our place to take our place so that we can go back to his place. Jesus came. He has taken your place and my place and he offers new life through faith in him. Amen.